Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Advertising, the show where we ask, if the world were our client, what would the brief be? I am, as usual, joined by my co-host, Dino Myers-Lamperty. And in fact, Dino and I have been seeing quite a lot of each other this week. We're both judges on the DNAD Awards. So hopefully that will get the creative juices flowing and help us deliver some pencil-worthy ideas. And joining us in that quest is special guest, Andrew Lopez. Lopez and I actually started working in advertising on the exact same day, almost 10 years ago. We were on the same Ogilvy graduate programme. And although I eventually bottled it, Lopez has skyrocketed through the organisation and is now the head of strategy across PR and influence. Welcome to the show, Andy. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, what an introduction. Um, I, th- I feel like in this situation, you were very much the lucky one and escaped, escaped the nest. Very good. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be invited on. Thanks for having me. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that is ironically common, loneliness. The Office for National Statistics reports that 2.4 million adults in the UK suffer from chronic loneliness, and almost half of us will experience loneliness at some point in our lives. So for many, a trip to the supermarket may be the first time they've spoken aloud to another person all day. And yet, we build self-service checkout machines, and we defund public spaces. We continue to scroll through our news feeds like our lives depend on it. When in fact, our lives quite literally depend on our connections to others. Loneliness significantly increases risk of depression, heart disease, stroke, dementia. Psychologist Julianne Holt-Lundstadt found that loneliness and poor social connection are as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So today we're going to talk about how we can kick the habit. How can we help people rediscover the communal roots that are so crucial to our happiness and our success as a species? It's a pretty big brief and let's get stuck in. Dino, what are you thinking? I think that actually the subject of loneliness is not very well researched, I think. Um, Well, it's probably one of those subjects that's over-researched, but actually when I was digging around for information and looking for, you know, what, what makes loneliness and and what um, what helps loneliness? There was there was seemed to be limited amount of like solutions as such out there. It was all a little bit vague. And and I think that the, the couple of things that I picked out firstly were one. Um, it seems that um, there is definitely a, an age thing that happens with loneliness. Uh, it te- tends to peak at you know in the in the younger ages, so sixteen to twenty four year old adults, um, which I think is helpful for giving some kind of focus to the brief. I think that. It might be um, a little bit more skewing towards males rather than females as well, in terms of on the balance of things. Not to say that you know one gender doesn't get lonely, but um, I think in terms of if we were looking at the uh, let's say the, the probably the crisis point in the uh, in the loneliness equation, it's probably those demographics. Interesting. Yeah, I saw a Radio Four survey that found sixteen to twenty-four year olds experience loneliness more often and more intensely than any other age group. So yeah, I mean, my research sort of aligns with what you were saying. The focus on how it particularly affects men is interesting. Have you come across any ideas or theories as to why that might be? I think that one thing that's probably quite clear is that when you keep yourself busy, you you don't have time to think about how lonely you are effectively. So almost like busyness and activity seem to be some kind of aid 
and getting through, you know, when you, you've almost like realized that, I guess that you're lonely. And it actually reminds me of um, uh, something that Tim Ferriss talked about when he was traveling around to lots of different countries and the way in which you'll get involved in the, and feel part of a, a culture or society was getting involved in sports clubs. And I think that's quite interesting because he was learning new skills, like whatever's karate, judo, whatever, um, mainly for the purpose of having a social network, a social group. But I think that, that that word social network is probably the key thing in this whole discussion, because right now, actually, there's also this kind of weird kind of metric that actually it seems that most people that are, are lonely actually have, have have more social engagements online. But actually, they are almost kind of like shallower in a sense. They have they have more contact with strange, effectively strangers, people they, they don't meet in real life online. So it seems like almost to fill this kind of like what well, whatever it is to fill the loneliness uh, void or whether actually that is a condition of loneliness in a sense, in terms of it is creating loneliness by having this kind of big network socially it, online that you never actually really get to see and meet in person. And, and I think that actually that's the kind of like the thing to throw in here in this discussion, which is the impact of social media and seeing other people's great lives and how that maybe makes you feel about connected and happy you really are, and which probably has a bit of a, an impact on your feeling of loneliness. Lopez, have you had any thoughts how you'd like to approach this brief? Yeah, I, really fascinating to hear some of the uh, some of the points that Dino was covering there, and certainly some things that were resonating in um, a little bit of the reading that I was doing, and certainly some sort of preconceptions I suppose I had, which were I suppose broken by doing um, some reading around this. I think there's an area related to what Dino was speaking around. The social media side of it, I think, is is fascinating. You know, um, we've all we've all sort of read a lot of commentary on that, and I think there's also something related to that around a difference in expectations around kind of your lived experience, perhaps, versus what you are seeing online or you know the narratives that you're reading in the media, etc. And I think there is an overriding expectation that society, in particular for young men, which I think is really interesting, which Dino kind of touched on earlier there society expects you as a young man to kind of be self-reliant and be autonomous to some extent one of the problems is there is that difference in expectation of kind of what is painted for you by society in relation to that self-reliance and autonomous as a young man and what you're actually feeling and feeling those you know those symptoms of loneliness that you spoke about at the top of the at the top of the show amy and i think that also leads on to another area which i think is particularly interesting for this brief is that one of the reasons why this is so difficult to wrestle is because loneliness is a feeling, right? And so by definition, a feeling is going to manifest itself in different ways for different people, which makes it very difficult to get um, a handle on. I think that's one of the reasons why it's such a deep rooted issue. Um, and I think that will be a really interesting area for the brief to explore is that how do you manifest something? How do you tangibly bring to life something that is invisible and actually shows up in a different way for different people? It's also incredibly hard to pin down because it can be quite counterintuitive, right? I mean, I, I've had many a night perfectly alone, face mask on, turkey dinosaurs in the oven, having a lovely time. And then there's been times where you're, you know, you're in a crowded room and, and you feel the most alone you've ever been. I, in preparation for this podcast, I was talking to a few friends about, about loneliness over the weekend. And one of my friends actually, she remembered when she came to visit me in London and I just moved here and I was fresh out of uni um, I started on that grad scheme that we were on together and clearly you were being a very good friend because I said to her you know, I feel so lonely I don't know anyone in this city and I'm constantly around people but I don't know anyone 
and she remembered i've completely forgotten this but she remembered feeling like so sad and 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 really feeling affected by that and it did make me think you know young people coming into the city getting their first job trying to establish who they are what they stand for what you know what they want to be that there's so much pressure and that misalignment of expectation has is never in, in my experience that was when it was most acute the easy fix is kind of saying as as dino was saying earlier which is then to almost then get on the tr- the, temp- the temptation the sticking plaster which doesn't go to the deep rooted cause of the issue is to get on the treadmill of keeping yourself busy and surrounding yourself with things with people with activities um, and constantly moving from one thing to the next in a bid to keep yourself active and your mind off things but that isn't necessarily um a cause for the issue it's a bit it's a sticking plaster really well amy you're one of the few people that have actually you know been brave enough to admit that you're lonely i think that's the rare thing as well um not a lot of people actually come forward and say you're lonely i mean that experience that your friend had i can't say that i've had that experience from any single one of my friends actually admitting to me that they were lonely but i think that that's also part of potentially the brief and part of the problem in a sense because you know you probably have friends that are out there that are feeling lonely but you just don't know about it and actually you could probably do something about it you know you'd probably pick up the phone or you know do a zoom or just arrange to go and see them or something but without knowing in the absence of knowing you just you know you just carry on with your life really don't you 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 assume everyone is busy you assume everyone has got things to do and they're just you know active Uh, and i think the pandemic is an interesting kind of period of time in addressing this as well because there hasn't been this kind of like ridiculously high spike suddenly in loneliness and I wonder whether that's just because of this FOMO thing of like actually when when people are out and about we're not in lockdown you you actually have the potential of feeling more lonely because of your expectations of you should be out there meeting people and all the rest of it and actually rather you're at home on your own you're the unpopular one that's a really important reason why social media can be so damaging right is that sense of FOMO that sense of missing out and I was looking around for some some sort of statistics or research to back up that gut instinct that social media is bad for loneliness I found a study by Stanford University it was in 2018 so it was quite recent a couple of years ago and they had two groups of students um, four weeks before their midterm exams one group had to abstain from Facebook for the full four weeks and the other were a control and continued as normal. And they found that not only did the group without Facebook do better in their midterms, they were also significantly happier and significantly less lonely. So there is this very, very tangible effect that social media has. And I think a huge factor of it is exactly what you've picked up, Dino, which is that sense of being able to see what other people are up to and, and, and feeling like you're missing out. In defense, in defense of uh, social media, though, is it the way in which social media is used rather than the thing itself? Because, you know, let's say the older generations, the 75 plus, the 65 pluses, whatever else, so, you know, our parents or whatever generations, they seem to be quite good at using it to, to be part of a community in a sense. That's and, true. you know, it, they, they get involved, I think, and, um, and see a lot of, I think, pleasure and value out of that. And I think that what they do in social media, the rest of us like shun in a sense and go, oh, why would you join some random group or something? And, and feel all excited by this kind of involvement. Uh, but they seem to get satisfaction out of it. They seem to probably, I guess, you know, looking at the statistics of who feels lonely, maybe they are less lonely as a result in terms of the way in which they're using social media. And perhaps, you know, the, the, the younger use of social media is a little bit more, let's say, showing off or aspirational or, you know, just trying to be part of something in a, in a shallower kind of level. And maybe that's maybe there's a bit of a re-education of just like how to use social media. Yeah. Because let's say if that if that kind of like stigma was taken away from 
joining certain groups because the, the dream of social media was that you could find niche little groups that are you know specialist interests and things that you love um and maybe it's just the fact that 16 to 24s just think they love what everyone should love at the moment you know in terms of when you're going through that kind of like growing up i guess you're just trying to be part of the biggest most popular thing maybe and maybe the people need a bit more confidence again actually no i'm into this just really kind of small niche you know subset thing and that's fine and i'll find uh, yeah, 100 so people right. That's such a good point. My mum uses Facebook to find camper van groups across the UK. And it, it's, it's such a fantastic way to connect with that community. So perhaps there's a perhaps it's about adding perhaps there's a, a, something around an education piece about adding an extra word to how social media is being used. So I think you've both spoken about common interests. And I think part of the draw of social media has been it was almost it's been a borderless way of connecting with people who have common interests or common values. But actually, maybe it's about bringing the word location into this as well, because both the examples that you kind of picked up, both of you picked up on there, talked about the kind of physical proximity, actually, element added to the common interests. Um, and I think, you know, the, the cliche, isn't it, of social media is sort of connecting with people on the other side of the world and feeling close to them. But there is that physical distance and I think you're absolutely right, both of you, in talking about how other uh, demographic groups bring that locational piece into it and do actually follow through on those connections and meet up to share those common interests. Um, so perhaps that could be that could be an area to do some re-education on. You mentioned about the impact of the pandemic, Dino, and that actually draws on another area that I found quite interesting when I was doing some research for this episode is the renewed sense of community and a renewed sense of local support you know whether it's clapping for the nhs or even just knowing the name of your local greengrocer or you know your local pub like there's this real sense of suddenly our lives have got more localized and our, you know, our worlds have become smaller but that actually has created a renewed value in the community um you know i saw a stat 73 percent of people in the uk don't know the name of their neighbors and i fall in that camp before this pandemic, I had no idea who was living next door to me. And now, because we've been locked at home for so long, I've interacted with those people. I had my neighbours around for dinner the other week. That's never <laughs> happened before. So I love the idea that, that maybe we could combine an education piece around how to use social media as a facilitator to get into the real world, and then something around normalising community networking and 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 getting to know your neighbours and, and socialising with people who perhaps aren't in your direct social sphere. What was interesting about your suggestions of actually focusing on sort of the young young men is the, the, the overwhelming narrative is still loneliness is, you know, loneliness equals a, a older people problem. Mm. And, yeah. you know, not to, absolutely not to belittle the experiences of the older generations uh, or indeed the horrendous situation that so many older people face but it feels the spotlight is so firmly on that group that it's at the complete expense of actually what's coming further down the line it feels like that that's the ticking time bomb bit it feels like it's a huge problem that's coming further down the line all right it sounds like we're starting to get a brief together here it sounds like we're going to focus it on men and particularly young men let's say what 16 to 24 that sort of just sort of coming on coming onto social media just starting to figure out who you are and, and maybe leave home and start to go to uni or start start in a new city like that very very precious time where you're just 
just starting out. So we've got a really nice focus there. And in terms of the objective of the brief, it sounds like it's primarily an education piece, right? It's about building skills to enable young men to create community around themselves. Does that sound good? I would agree. And I think just that element of initiating conversations is hugely important and hugely valid. And I think that that also needs to be a focus in, in mm -hmm. however we decide to tackle this. OK, so helping young men initiate conversations. Mm. All right, mm -hmm. the brief is locked in. Let's start responding to it. For the zero pounds, um, I think you need a, a nice kind of catchy kind of slogan and an idea that can, uh, can travel. So I'm calling this um, Celebrate Single. And this is uh, Celebrate Single, not in a sense of, uh, you know, single and looking to date sense. This is just celebrating the fact that you are an individual and you would do things on your own and yeah. feel com comfortable and proud and, you know, and, and just, just feel, yeah, feel, feel okay about it. Um, and I think that firstly, so for this idea with no money, I think there's a lot of things that are out there at the moment that are quite nicely designed for if you're single, but the stigma around it is just um, a, a little bit too, too extreme, too big in a sense. So for example, if you go to a restaurant, places like, you know, like, like Wagamama's, for example, that, you know, they have all the shared tables, don't they? So if you go in on your own, then you can just sit down on a table with other people and it just makes you feel like, you know, you're just a bit more part of a group and you don't stand out so much with being single and being lonely as such. And I think that that idea can be extended to far more entities and things i mean i remember the um at the rsa on the table it's actually got this table is for open conversations with strangers so, oh nice yeah so if you want to have a conversation with someone new and someone different and that you just haven't kind of like ever met before then you go and sit on that table and actually you know it's you're encouraged to break into conversation with people which i think is a lovely idea and that kind of concept can be taken to lots and lots of different type of places so this kind of celebrate single idea is about making a campaign where I guess businesses and things and entities um, make a bit more of a, of a of a campaign around we have facilities and things for people that are just single on their own individuals that just turn it up. So it becomes more of an accepted and normalized thing. And that can even extend to things like, for example, you know, you could have like club nights and bars that have like, you know, this this bar tonight or whatever is for people that just turn up on their own. I love that. I, it reminds me, actually, I have a friend who is a pop star. Uh, her name's Rina Sawayama, and she is so fabulous. And she runs, uh, well, she has live shows, uh, but, and her audience is generally skews pretty young. So she's got this initiative at her gigs where if you're coming on your own, you just specify that on your ticket and you get a special wristband. And it's a wristband that basically symbolizes I'm on my own and I'm here to meet people and I want to you know, meet other people that are on their own. It's such a lovely scheme, especially for younger kids that, you know, really want to come and support Rena, but maybe don't have anyone to bring along and then they get to meet people there. That's lovely. I love that. Absolutely love that. So when I was thinking, I think I've gone down a similar route to you, Dina, actually, in that I was thinking about how we can piggyback on existing success. And I came across two incredible charities that are working in this space already. The first is called the Cares Family. There's a North London Cares, a South London Cares. There's a couple across the UK. They have these local hubs. And it's essentially an initiative that brings together old locals and young professionals in urban areas. So it's founded in 2011 when a guy called Alex basically met his octogenarian neighbour for the first time and realised that 
his neighbour hadn't been out of the house in three months. So the next day he came back and he helped his neighbour go get his hair cut. And he started a charity around this, which is basically social clubs where young people and old people get together. They go to the pub, they do games nights, they do book clubs. Um, and they also do matchmaking schemes for young and old neighbours. It's wicked. It's absolutely awesome. I, I am going to sign up and volunteer. I've said it now officially on the podcast. I have to do it. <laughs> so I was thinking for our zero budget, let's just shout about that because that's already such a fantastic initiative. So I was, um, I was thinking we could use the social media channels of all of the existing volunteers. We'd get earned reach across social media. And it would be a post that goes out an hour before the meetup in your local area that says, stop scrolling, stop scrolling through your stories, take a pause here. There's a meetup in an hour at the pub down your street. I'll be there. And so you just create a, a whole bunch of assets like that that these volunteers can use on their channels before they go. And then they can post during and, and show you know, how accessible and easy it is. Because I think volunteering sounds like effort and so many people would love to do it but don't so just making it immediate and local would be really effective another thing i was thinking on sort of promoting these meetups you could make fake tinder profiles or fake hinge profiles but rather than a dating profile it's uh, it's essentially a profile that says don't swipe right go put on your trainers get a jacket and go down to the pub we're meeting in an hour and you can geolocate on on the on the hinge profile and you can have like times of day when you're active and when you're live you could really get quite targeted in quite a creative way using these platforms where people are having those shallow social interactions and feeling lonely but not knowing how to break out of it let's just jump into that stream of thought and interrupt them and offer something different i really like the localism element you know the easiest way of feeling involved in your community and feeling like there are people around you is by rooting it in the local area and to mm. make those barriers as low as possible for people to get involved can you top it <laughs> uh, <laughs> right well thanks for setting me up for failure there amy um great so um i'm i, I i'm gonna sort of slightly cheat with mine and um sort of you know you tell me make make noises booing me or whatever you like um as i as i explain it but i think one of the solutions already kind of exists. Um, and I think it's something that's just not been publicised and perhaps not been handled particularly well. So in 2018, the UK actually appointed a Minister for Loneliness. And, you know, we're sort of here three years later. Currently, the Minister in post is Baroness Barron. Um, I don't know a huge amount about her. I've obviously never, never met her. I'm sure she's a lovely lady. But I think the answer rise in reframing what we could do what the government rather could do with that minister for loneliness post so i think there's a brilliant brilliant uh, example to us all uh, which again i know you've sort of considered and spoken about in previous episodes of what uh, has been done with the minister for Me mental health which is um dr alex uh, who was of love island fame um but has now done an incredible job in reframing how the mental health conversation is reaching some of those younger age demographics and you know i think it's very easy to turn your nose up at uh, reality tv stars getting involved with this kind of thing and i'm not suggesting necessarily this post is held by a reality tv star but i think there is something for the government um putting their hands up saying this is a pandemic this is a uh, this is a ticking time bomb that we have amongst this age demographic and picking a figure and reaching out to a figure that could 
drive meaningful conversation, mm. would get press coverage, would get earned coverage. And then as you spoke about, um, as you both spoken about in your ideas, have that real impact on social media, which as we know, is the double-edged sword for this group, but perversely could actually be a really big part of the solution counterintuitively if handled correctly. So not gone as far as identifying a figure that uh, I'd like to email after the show. Um, but I think uh, for me, there could be something really interesting in reframing that minister for loneliness position and inviting somebody within the within that age demographic that we've spoken about, 16 to 24 male, and just to completely change how this is seen. Um, so that's kind of that would that, that that would be my solution, I think. Lovely, lovely solution. Yeah, I really like that. Super simple. I'd never heard of that minister for loneliness. Love that. Very good. Cool. All right. So mm. shall we move straight on to our million pound idea? What would Jeff Bezos do? Infinite money now. Uh, let's think big. How are we going to solve this? I think that if you had you know all the money in the world, you know technology has to play a part in it. And there's a, there's a number of different kind of tech solutions that I think uh, have touched upon, you know, potential solutions. And, and almost my idea would be stealing a little bit from some of them. I mean, I, I think that Foursquare was an interesting, you know, uh, technology of the past in a sense. This idea of locally checking into places. And I like the idea of how it made you feel uh, a sense of kind of a local kind of ownership, but also just that kind of sense of getting to know people locally in a weird way. Um, because you'd, you'd always check in and see, oh, there's someone else that you may or may not know. It was quite nice. And actually, you know, at its best, it was a kind of like a loyalty scheme ultimately, but um, it would get you to frequent places in a sense. Um, and it didn't, unfortunately, it didn't, it just wasn't really good enough, you know, and it didn't last long enough. And it was just a bit of a game more than anything else. But, um, but I think that uh, there's something in that kind of like, you know, localization of certain tech that can make you, um, you know, bring people a bit closer together um, more easily. So I think I'll take elements of that. And then the other part, I think there's a, there's also a feature on, I think it's on, on Apple phones, which is, I think it's called friends or something, which actually, I think if you, if you, you know, whatever, turn it on or something, you can look on, you know, and be alerted if one of your friends uh, are in your area or so. So if you turn up to a, a different country or something, you can actually just do this kind of quick search and be like, Oh, you know, there's someone I know that's, you know, within proximity. I think they have to kind of like, you know, opt in to be tracked in that way by their friends, by the people in their contact book. I've actually had that happen to me where I've been, I was in Covent Garden and I share my map with my partner. Like, you know, you can share your location, which is, makes it very difficult to cheat on him, but otherwise it's quite <laughs> handy. And um, he also has the location of one of our friends. We kind of just share off locations with each other um, as a group. And he messaged me saying, Will's like two doors down from you. Like he must be shopping <laughs> in Covent Garden too. You should drop him a note. And then we went for a drink. So it actually Sorry. has, I've had that actually work. So I would definitely download that app. I think it's great. I think, again, it's, you know, it's, you look through, you look through um, sort of, you know, sort of social history and how, how we've developed a society to make bonds with each other. And the very basic thing at the heart of everything is people getting together over shared interests, right? And, you yeah. know, that used to take the form of, uh, you know, intellectual coffee shops. It, then it took the form of now it's all sort of moved digitally, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you're kind of just going back to the heart of what brings people together, which is the shared interest over a topic. But then again, what I think is brilliant is you're bringing down the barriers. Um, you're bringing down the barriers of distance, which are 
as we know, as the research has shown, is the big issue here. And I think this is absolutely addressing that head on, which is why it's great. Okay, so for my million pound idea, uh, I have been inspired by the concept of the third place. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. The idea is that it's a, a living room for the community. People often refer to Starbucks as the third place. Um, and so you know, the modern home, especially in the pandemic, the modern home has actually become a place of isolation. So we go to gyms, cafes, beauty salons, bookstores, parks. These are the third place. These are the places where community happens. And the other thing that I want to sort of draw on is the very sad fact that since 2000, a quarter of Britain's pubs have closed. That means four out of five people in the UK have seen a pub close within five miles of their home. And thinking about this demographic, thinking about how we can make building community feel accessible to them, I think the pub is a very powerful tool. The pub is such a heart of the community, it's such a heart of British culture. It's one of the few places that I would go on my own and sit and read a book. And uh, it, it has this real sense of, of togetherness. So I want to champion the pub as the third place. And I want to create a campaign that at very heart is about making pubs an asset of community value. And it would also just establish them as a community benefit, right? It would just it would reframe the pub rather than a thing, you know, a boozer you go to to get sloshed on Jaeger bombs. It's a place where you might go and buy a pint and sit and read a book and just be around people. So I want to use my infinite money to basically establish a not-for-profit that works around the UK nominating pubs for uh, asset of community status. And then in return, get pubs engaged in this, get pubs to build areas within their establishments. Your idea earlier, Dino, you know, having a table that says, you sit at this table, then you're open to chat. You know, maybe you could have a little book corner and a book spot scheme. You'd have board games, you'd have space for local clubs, like art clubs or communities. So I think it's about harnessing what we've already got in clubs, but protecting them and creating a bit more value and recognition for the role they play in community. Yeah, I love that. Again, it's 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 also taking, I think one of the other really smart things about it is it's taking something that already has social connotations and reframing how yeah. it's seen. So I think what was great is that you're not necessarily trying to instill a new behavior that you're gonna, you know, it's gonna have a load of barriers to come up against because it's a new learned behavior. The the pub is already synonymous with socializing and a social space and somewhere where you'd meet people uh, to connect with them. So I think that's that's a really smart use of, of taking your space and just re-looking at what the, what, the, what the use of it is for. I think it's great. All right. Well, I'll see you guys in the pub then. But before <laughs> we go, Lopez, what would you do if you had infinite money? My idea was sort of a, a slightly less good and less fleshed out version of, uh, of what Amy had spoken about. I, um, I basically wondered whether what we could learn from retirement communities because i think that actually there's a lot of progressive work uh, being done for the older generations in how they spend time how they connect with each other so there's the fast there's a fascinating housing development that i came across called owch which enables over 50s to retire amongst a community of, of like-minded londoners so it's in london at the moment but it's you know they're, they're looking to have national reach and essentially you um 
you know, it's based on your interests and it's based on kind of your values. And then you're paired, you're matched with people who also would like to live in a similar type of community. I feel that traditionally, you know, sort of talking to my parents, for example, this problem didn't seem as uh, exacerbated because they have things like youth clubs and community centres. And now they have an awful reputation. They have an awful, um, uh, you know, name because of underfunding, because they're a bit of naff, frankly, towards the end, um, amongst a whole host of other problems. But um, yeah, there wasn't really an idea in it, but I wondered whether we could build from the ground up what would be modern generation community centres, youth centres, because I think, you know, certainly in my local area, where I see the 16 to 24 year olds hang out is the basketball court, for example, simply because it's a physical space where they can meet to connect. Unfortunately, those spaces are few and far between these days for funding, due to funding issues. So I think for me, it's about create, taking learnings from other organisations like Housing Developments for the Older that are built bespoke around people with shared values. And those spaces could be multifaceted, multi-used. Uh, you know, they could certainly, they could be a pub. I think that's a great idea. I think probably they should be in a pub. Um, and build spaces for people to come together with like-minded people. And I think the critical thing for me here was looking at how we could bring many of the online experiences into this physical world. So not necessarily asking these 16 to 24 year old young men to, you know, forego the things that they enjoy doing online. But you look at the, you look at the popularity of things like esport viewing. There's no reason why we can't take things like the activities that a lot of these young men are doing and bring them into a physical space in a way that allows them to connect physically with other people. Mm, and so you reframe how they're doing their, these activities, but in a physical space. So you, again, I think what was great about Amy's idea and what I was keen to keep in mind was not asking people to learn a new behavior because I think that is incredibly difficult, especially with this demographic. So it was about creating spaces, learning from these sort of new avant-garde retirement communities, which are designed around bringing a lot of the digital things that this audience are into and how a lot of spend a lot of their time doing and bringing them into some sort of physical space where they can continue to do these things but actually connect with other people and i think i'm convinced by the previous answer that it probably should be in a pub <laughs> okay I, so it, the, the retirement communities is a very smart place to draw inspiration from the whole sort of stigma around you know, you have to get a nuclear family and you live with them, or you should be living on your own. By the time you're sort of, I don't know, 30, 35, it starts being almost weird to have roommates. Like there's this very strange sort of evolution of our lives where we outgrow those communities in our homes and rethinking the stigma or rethinking the expectation around how people live and how people live together feels really important if we want to build a less lonely society the, the strength is in community and the strength is in togetherness and the strength is not necessarily in sort of being seen as macho self-reliant i don't need anybody else you know and i mm. think that's a really important conversation yeah. for us to be addressing changing um, the cultural norms around communal living the uh, the the other thing I love about your idea as well it just uh, sparked off a memory of mine which was about traveling and w when I went traveling I remember the um, the advice I got from people who had been before was stay in hostels 
and it wasn't just you know just to stay in hostels because you know they're, they're cheap because they really are but uh it was for the social side of things it was for yeah. the fact that you know as an individual you know there's you know if you go traveling and you happen to be doing a certain stretch on your own you know you you want to stay in hostels rather than hotels so even if you have you know even if you go to some parts of the world where actually hotels are just as cheap you know it's it's social advantage to basically go into into hostels because you will definitely meet people. You definitely meet people who welcome you into their circle and be like, we're doing this tomorrow, you know, fancy coming. And it's just easy, it's effortless um, because there are so many people in that situation just hanging out on their own. So it just it just becomes really normal. And that idea of, you know, reinventing communal living, I think you can learn a lot from the way hostels are basically, um, you know, a more kind of like slightly more, uh, you know, upmarket, I guess, uh, version of a hostel would probably be not just acceptable to people, but it would probably be what people would, would choose over over other forms of living. God, I have the exact same experience traveling mm -hmm. around in hostels and you just you sit down for five minutes with a beer and make some eye contact. <laughs> it's a bit creepy, but you've got to do it. And within 10 minutes, you're chatting away to a complete stranger from somewhere completely different in the world. There's so many people who don't have that experience who've never done yeah. that kind of travel thing on your own. They've, you know, even if they have traveled, they've traveled with people. So they've never really been in that situation where it's like it's been them on their own and had to, you know, you've had you have to find people to hang out with. Otherwise, the rest of your traveling is going to be really quite, quite boring. But if you have that experience, then suddenly it breaks that kind of fear, doesn't it? You know, and suddenly you get it. But it's about, yeah, how can we how can we create that as a normalize that normalize that kind of experience and that kind of like not just an experience in, in terms of a one off moment, but I like the idea of it becoming a bit more of a permanent way of kind of living for for, for people who are you know, individual and on their own. I think for me, what has been quite apparent having chatted with you guys about this topic for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so now, is that building community is a skill. It's a, it's a muscle that you have to train. So I love that each of our different approaches and, and perspectives have thought of different ways that we can help build that muscle and strengthen that through education, through normalizing it, through changing cultural norms, through creating institutions and structures. But fundamentally, it's just about encouraging people to learn how to build community. So um, yeah, I hope some of these ideas have sparked ideas for our listeners as well. And uh, if you're listening in and you think, oh my God, there's such an obvious solution that these guys haven't thought of, then please get in touch with us and join in or put all our LinkedIn bios in the show notes so that you can connect with us and continue chatting and indeed make new friends and build your community with that i'm going to wrap up thank you so much for joining today lopez i really appreciate you taking the time to join us and um yeah wait to speak to you soon fantastic thanks for having me see you in the pub soon guys <laughs> <laughs>